Welcome, and thank you very, very much for joining today's class. Uh, today's class is dedicated in memory, and, and I'm a little sad saying this just because of what it normally is every year. When we dedicate today's class, and every year we do it at this time period, a class, that's Adel Sa'in Shalom. And by, she's the, she was the daughter of Hamat Lubabadi, of course, one of our legendary rabbis and leaders of our community, especially in its formation in the early years. As donated by her children, Lana and Max Shalom, who Auntie Lana is my wife's aunt, someone we're very, very close to, and Priscilla and Charles Sutton. And what I say sad is that every year at this time, we would do it in her memory, and you'd have a lot of the family would come here, the room would be full, there'd be people excited to come and hear words in her memory of a woman who really was at a love for our community and a love for her family and cared so much, so deeply about her children and whose children, like I said, we feel so close to. Auntie Lana is a woman who we admire so deeply and the way she cares for her husband, Max, now, and she tries to bring him strength and encouragement and she does it to her family, is something that we as nieces and nephews just stand in awe and watching Auntie Lana. And Priscilla and Charles, you know, Priscilla is here every single week. She moved to deal. She still wants to be here every single week. And she's so involved and energetic and excited about the class. I think last year we did a class um, in our home even as well. So she's always into it and she's always excited. And I hope it's not Hashem today where our words will be an elevation for the Neshama V'deo Batester. And hopefully before you know it, we'll be back. And next year, either we're in Yerushalayim or we're all together in this room doing another class in memory of this wonderful, wonderful woman. Amen. So, tonight, as you may have seen, social media and the internet is, we have an event, the Community Chizuk event. We, we haven't had one in a few months. And we're having one tonight. Rabbi David Haber, my brother, who's in charge, really we've gotten a tremendous amount of requests. Rabbi, the community needs it, the community needs it, the community needs it. And because of that, we're doing it. And the format, I think, is going to be unique. It's not going to be speeches. It's going to be more of a conversation and discussion. I think it's going to be very engaging and exciting. And there's a part of me that said, because we're going to talk about it tonight, maybe we shouldn't have a class today. And then I said, no, but today is more of a very class form, a speech form, and a lot of the Vedet Torah. So although we're constantly talking about the topic, which is on everybody's mind, I think tuning in tonight will be a very unique experience to get to see us discuss topics that you're thinking about in a very relevant and a very real way without all that a speech brings, which is also sometimes very powerful and dynamic, but this will be talking directly to the audience and talking to one another, and I think the audience will appreciate it, inshallah, um, very much. So please tune in tonight at 8 o'clock to all of the uh, affiliates that are, that, are, that are broadcasting the event tonight. So last week we gave a message, and I said it again on Saturday night, I said it in shul, the message again and again was, don't just focus on your circle of concern, instead zone in on your circle of influence. And for the most part, 
People told me they loved it. Rabbi, spot on. People need to hear that. My wife needs to hear that. The husbands always say that about the wife. My wife needs to hear that. She really needs to hear that. It's so critical that we hear it. But a few people came to me and said, you know, it's nice of you to say only focus on your circle of circle of, of influence, but but all these things that we're concerned about are affecting everything. So it's hard to say don't talk about school's clothing when I have five kids in my house that are home because the school's closed. So what do you mean? Don't talk about the shuls being limited. When I go to shul on Shabbat, it's depressing. So it's easy to say don't talk about it. And that is the right thing to do is to try not to talk about it. Just focus on where you can make an impact. But the topic is everywhere in the air. So what do we do? So I'm going to give more advice this week. And, you know, I so badly in the beginning of the week said to myself, I want to talk about something else. And I said, there's nothing else that anyone wants to hear about. So I want to talk about this. What happens when you feel like the things that you're concerned about, that you don't have much of influence on, are affecting everything you influence? So now what do I do? And I want to try today to create another mentality. Last week we gave you one. This week I want to give you another step. And I think this mentality is so important and so critical, even about the things that you supposedly can influence. I think there's a lot of influence that you can have that you don't even realize. We're in Parashat Noah. It's exciting, Parashat. How sad is it that so many kids are not going to come home this week with pictures of the teba and the bottom floor, middle floor, top floor, and the animals and the people and the garbage and, and all that they know and learn about the teba. It's unbelievably sad. But at the end of the, towards the end of the Parashat, as Noah is about to leave the teba, the flood is over. Hashem appears to Noah and tells him, the flood has ended. Semna Leave the teva, you and your wife and your family. And Rashi says, what does it mean? And he kind of deducts it from a little bit of the wording. What does it mean? All this family, you should take out with you. Says Rashi. Tell your children and your family to leave. And if they don't want to leave, you take them out. What does that mean? I just have one question. You're telling me they were cooped up on a teva for an entire year and you think there's anybody in there who's not going to want to leave? If there's someone who doesn't want to leave, tell them to leave. What? They want a boat for 12 months. Now they're leaving. Of course they want to leave. I'm sure when the door opened to that teva, they jumped out like lightning hit. What do you mean? Tell them to leave. And if they don't want to leave, pull them out. So I'm going to explain it to you based on a syndrome that you can actually look up. It's heavily debated in science. But it's something that I think your eyes can see is real. It's called Stockholm Syndrome. What's the Stockholm Syndrome? The Stockholm Syndrome is a syndrome that people have that they almost want to stay in the horrible place they already are in. Why is it called Stockholm Syndrome? You explain what it means. There were captives in Sweden. I don't know if it was 70, 80 years, years, years ago. There were captives, there were hostages. And people came, police force, the, the army came to save these four hostages. And the hostages were so sort of brainwashed to their scenario that they helped 
their captors. They helped the people that were holding them hostage against the army that came to save them. And you would have said, what? You're being held hostage by these people. Why are you helping them? The answer is something called Stockholm Syndrome. And that story happened in Stockholm, Sweden. Where a syndrome where you're just I'm in captivity and you start to like it. To an outsider, it doesn't make sense. But to an insider, you see it sadly often. You'll see someone who's in a terrible marriage and you say, why are you staying in this marriage? The answer is Stockholm Syndrome. You'll see someone who has a terrible addiction and they know it's ruining their life. Why are you staying this way? Why don't you fix it? Stockholm Syndrome. You'll see people who are really depressed. Change it. Stockholm Syndrome. You'll see people who are in a horrible job and they know they're better than this. Why are you staying in the job? They're afraid to leave. Stockholm Syndrome. Hashem was introducing Noah at that moment to Stockholm Syndrome. There may be some people in your Teva who, of course, natural thing is to want to leave. There may be some people in your Teva that got so used to being cooped up that they don't want to go. And I hate to say it, looking around at our community, there are many people right now who it looks like they're suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. And what I mean is they're so confused and full of so much fear that they're literally paralyzed. They don't want to move. Go outside. Everyone agrees this part is not dangerous. They don't want to. They're afraid to. They won't go into a room, even with social distance and people spread apart in a mess. They won't go in because they're suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. This, this mental thing that got them frozen into place. If you are one of those people, or if your parents are one of those people, please identify this challenge that we're facing. That sometimes the concern has turned into fear that's turned into paralyzation. Let me tell you what I really mean. A great example of Stockholm Syndrome. So on Sunday night, I was driving my son to Menchan Arbit. He's 14 years old, an adorable and innocent kid. And I don't know why, I just randomly said, maybe someone mentioned me, I said, you know how bad the Jets are? I said, the Jets are 0-6. That's, they played six games and they lost all six. And they just lost 24-0. to zero. He says, wow, that's horrible. He says, they probably have no fans. I said, no, they have a lot of fans. He says, why in the world would they have a lot of fans? I said, because these people have been fans for many, many years. So once a Jet fan, they stay a Jet fan. He says, why? Who said, once you were a Jet fan, you have to stay one? The answer is Stockholm Syndrome. The answer is there's some kind of halakha, that if you suffered with this team, you must stay there and continue to suffer. And they talk about it. And you'll hear a Jet fan this Sunday. How much are they going to lose by? They almost like it. That's what Stockholm Syndrome means. We get used to suffering or we get used to a certain mentality. Fear, confusion, negativity starts to play with our brain and we get paralyzed. So how do we stop any type of fear or any negative habit? That's what we're trying to address today.
it's not just about what's happening around us. It's, it's partly about that, but it could relate to any person you know who's suffering from this kind of Stockholm Syndrome. Any person you know who's in some type of negative state and doesn't want to leave it. We're going to try and provide some suggestions and advice. It starts with the way you talk. In the beginning of the parasha, Hashem speaks to Noah and tells him, you have to bring animals into the teva. You bring two from every animal and seven from every kosher animal. Seven of each cow and seven of each sheep and seven of each goat. Every kosher animal, you need seven of each. And the word for kosher animal is behemah tehora, a pure and kosher animal. Now the word for unkosher animal should be behemah temeah, but that's not what the Torah says. Instead, the Torah says, Hashem appears to Noah and He says, asher From an animal that's not Tehora, bring two, the husband and the wife. And then He says it again, From the behemah that's pure, bring seven, And from the behemah that is not Tahor. So the Gemara Masech Pesachim comments, and says, that's strange wording. Why don't you just use the straight up word? From the animal that's pure, that tahor, and the animal that's impure, the animal that's tameh. Says the Gemara that our Torah switches the wording to show you how much effort needs to be put in to use clean language. I've learned that Gemara often. And when you read the Gemara, Pesachim, Davgima, you say, wow, it's a beautiful lesson. And then all of a sudden you stop yourself and you say, one second. You're telling me you're trying to avoid the word Tameh as if that word is somehow an impure word? I don't know about you, but open up the book of Ayikra. Every other page says Tameh, 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 Tameh. Tameh does not seem to be a bad word. It's not some kind of foul language. So why all across the Torah is the Torah comfortable with using the word Tameh? But here, the Torah doesn't want to use it. And instead it says, Lo Teorahi, or Enena Teorah as opposed to the straight-up, direct word, Tameh. The answer, I think, is very important, is that right here, the word Tameh is not a bad word. It's just a negative word. And right here, when Noah is bringing in the animals into the Teva that are about to rebuild the world, you can't rebuild with negativity. You can't rebuild with harsh verbiage. Which brings us to our first step. The words you use, the way you talk. If your home is full of words like, it's chaos, I can't take it, I'm so depressed, I'm so exhausted, the world's coming to an end, I hate the schools, I hate the government, I hate the president, I love the president, but I hate the guy who's running against him, and I hate the governor, and I hate the mayor. If that's all your words, the word hate is not a bad word, but the word hate is a negative, tough word. And when you add huff and puff to things, it makes it so much worse than it already is. And that's what creates this energy of extreme negativity. Most people I bump into, most adults, maybe kids are a little not so aware of it, but most adults are seem to be consumed with this mentality, consumed with this head, with this mindset. 
of Tame and it's the worst and it's over and it's going to be. And if he wins, if Trump loses in two weeks, the world is over and everything is over and it's the end of the world, end of America the way you know it. All of those words just create more of a huff and puff that's not necessary. I'll give you a little story. It happened two nights ago. So my son confirmed that he's going to Israel on Sunday. And so he booked a flight for the next night, Monday night. As you can imagine, our house was upside down. Sending one son to yeshiva out of town on Sunday night. And then another one out of the country on Monday night. We're getting everything together. All of the visas and the issuers and the quarantine papers and all that. We run, we go to the, we get to the airport. The house is upside down somewhat. We race to the airport. We take our son to the airport. Not race, two and a half hours before. We're there, JFK, beautiful. Got everything he needs, got everything he needs. All the papers piled up. We're halfway across the line, waiting for the flight on Delta. And my son realizes he forgot his passport. Oops. But don't worry, it gets worse. And then we start going outside, and my wife realizes, one second, I thought, Joey, you were taking the car, and I thought she was taking the car, and we're both so busy grabbing our mess that we left our car outside. We go outside, and the car was towed. Was towed. Wow. Hallelujah. So now I got no passport. The car is towed. We're nervous about it going on the plane. Does he have all the papers? Upside down. Thank God we have wonderful brother-in-law and sister-in-law, and so we called, my wife called her sister, Maisie, and within, uh, she was, drove right to the airport, got out his passport, and drove to the airport. We got him on the plane. They waited for us, and they drove us now to where the car is. So I asked the guy, what's it going to be? He says it's in Building 180, which is basically like closer to deal than, than JFK. Okay, we're going to go all the way to this building. He says there's a stocking fee and a towing fee, and a, I don't even want to know. I'm like, this is going to be $500. You know how they get you, like 150 anything. So finally, brother, they drive us there, some deep, dark place. We go into this office, empty office. All they have is spider webs all around because of Halloween with the humongous spider on the door. I walk in, there's only one woman there, a woman rather large with big, with pink hair, who has on the desk, you're speaking to the witch, please. I'm like, oh, wow, this is going to be fun. So now I have the conversation. She says it costs $163. Get lights, get your registration and insurance card. I go to the car. I come back. I say, ma'am, I'm sorry. I don't have my registration. Oh, did she huff and puff? Oh, what kind of person doesn't have the registration? Some people think they're smart, but they're really so dumb. I say, are you talking about me? She says, you don't understand. This is crazy. I don't believe it. I said, so what's it going to be? She says it's going to be the same $163. So I said, did you need the whole? Oh, can't believe it. What kind of people? I don't believe the people I work with. I don't believe the people that do this. can't believe how dumb people are. Just say, please, sir, it's $163. Take your car and go home. She's a witch, that's what. She's a witch. <laughs> no one's supposed to know that there's someone in the room, by the way. I'm joking. She's a witch. But she even said that the, one of the letters on which is supposed to be switched. The first letter. <laughs> Don't ask. I'm just saying, when you add the huff and puff to things, you just make the same. We got it. We know it's tough. The yelling, the screaming. And you know what creates so much of this? You know what creates so much of this? WhatsApp. WhatsApp is basically... A huff and puff on life. 
The world's coming to an end in every WhatsApp message. In that same Gemara Pesachim, it writes, the first words of the Masech Pesachim talks about checking for the Chametz on the night before Pesach. And the way the Mishnah says it is, Or Asar. The light of the 14th day of Nisan is when you check for Chametz. The Gemara says, one second, it's not the light of the 14th, it's the night of the 14th. Not Or, not light, it's the nighttime when it's dark. Says the Gemara, we're trying to use a clean word. So it doesn't use the word Leil Arba Asar, the night of the 14th. Instead, it says Orla Arba Asar, the light of the 14th. Once again, I ask you the question. It says the word Laila everywhere in the Gemara and the Mishnah. This is the only time where it switches Laila to Or. Why only over here? The answer is what this Mishnah is talking about is checking for Chametz which means removing something that's bad or that's negative. When you're checking for chametz, which is references, all that's bad in our life, when you're trying to remove that negativity from your life, you have to do it with light. You have to do it with positivity. When you add all of that, WhatsApp, it just, I get it. I get it. You're concerned about this election. I don't need 730 WhatsApps talking to me about Hunter Biden. I don't. It doesn't help me. It doesn't. I got it. I know who I'm voting for already. 72 WhatsApps is just adding huff and puff to the same story. I'll explain to you even clearer. We have things in life that are dangerous. And we have things in life that generate fear. You would think they're the same thing. But very often that's not the case. I'll tell you something that's dangerous. Walking into Ocean Parkway into oncoming traffic is dangerous. Driving a car at 120 miles an hour is dangerous. Sticking your hand into the stovetop is dangerous. But there's no fear associated with it because we just don't walk into oncoming traffic and we just don't drive at 120 miles an hour and we just don't put our hand in a fire. So when the stove is on, everyone in the kitchen isn't all huffing above it. They just... Don't put the hand there. And you walk on the sidewalk, not in the middle of the street. Then there are things that are fearful, like lightning, thunder and lightning, or like the bark of a dog, or like sometimes people have fear of going on a plane. All of those things have fear, but generally have no danger. You don't know anyone in your life who got harmed by thunder and lightning. You don't know anyone who got really bitten and harmed by a dog. It's a little scary, there's fear, but there's not really danger. Flying on a plane is probably the most safest thing there is out there. By the way, even today, the studies are that the, that the virus spreads the least in plane air than any other air. But that's not for now. So there's, there's danger and there's fear. And not necessarily do those two things go together. Because we have a lot of things that are dangerous that have no fear. A lot of things that have fear that have no danger. But when you mix the two, you have epic chaos. And we have so many people saying that the virus is dangerous. I got it. I agree. It's dangerous. But you don't need to associate fear with it. All it creates is so much nerves. I got it. Be careful. Wear your mask. Stay distance from people. That's all. Now, do you believe it? You saw someone. He didn't have a mask on. You're just adding fear and it's not helping. 
So my first point to this is to anyone who's suffering any form of Stockholm Syndrome is change your talk. Change your WhatsApps that you watch and share. Change the verbiage you use. Even words that are not bad words, like chaos and exhausted, are, neg are bad words at this time. The word Tameh and Laila are not bad words. But when you're trying to rebuild the world, or you're trying to clean negativity, then those words don't fit. So right now, at a time when there's a heightened sense of, of like I, the word I just used, exhaustion, and a heightened sense of negativity, and a heightened sense of danger, don't infuse it with huff and puff and fear. That means that when you're talking about something, instead of saying, I can't, say, I can. Instead of saying, oh, I can't deal with this, say, how are we going to deal with this? How can we? The question always should be, how can we? Not, oh, it's impossible. How can we? How can we? My kids are home from school. Not, it's impossible. How can we make this a good experience? How can we? When you start to ask a positive question, you generate a positive answer. How can we? What can we do? How can we make this better? Not, I can't, I can't, I can't. This past week on Shabbat, I'll be honest, it was in shul and it was depressing. No food in the shul, everyone dispersed, classes were shorter, it was depressing. So my first impulse was, I can't take this, this is the worst, I can't believe this, I'm so sick and tired of this. And then I said, that's not helping anybody. That's just saying, tameh, tameh, tameh. Rather than, I called the committee and said, how can we make next week better? How can we? All of a sudden, it creates a different focus. It removes all the fear and the huff and the puff and the negativity, and it creates a sense of zoned-in positive focus that we can create something different. And then comes the second step, and I'm only going to have two steps today, and that is once you change your talk, then you act. Let's explain. So Noah is instructed by God to go into the Teva, and then is instructed by God to lead the Teva. And there's a slight difference in the instructions. When Hashem tells Noah to go into the Teva, He says, Noah and his sons and your wife and your son's wives. First the men, then the woman. Why? So the commentaries say that Hashem specifically said, first the men and then the woman, as if to say they should be separated somewhat within the Sukkot Teva. Why should they be separated? Because it's not a time for to be involved in your marriage. It's not a time. It's not a time to have more children because it's your time instead to worry about the world. So Noah Hubanav and then Ishtecha separate. When they're supposed to leave the Teva, Hashem mixes the words. Then he says, Noah, leave the Teva. Noah, Ishtecha, you. Your wife, your sons, you and your wife, your sons and their wives. As if to say, now it's time to go back to your marriages. Have back to your homes together. Have children. Build the world together. And so it switches the wording. Going in, it separates the men and the women. Going out, it separates the married, the family, one couple, and then the other couples. But then the Torah tells us that Noah actually left the Teva. And when he actually leaves the Teva, it switches it back. It says, Noah and his sons 
and his wife and his daughter-in-laws. One second. I thought you were supposed to leave as families. Why instead are you leaving as men and women separated? The obvious answer is, is that Hashem told them going in, separate. Coming out, get back together and create your families again. And Noah was reluctant. Noah was afraid. So he left the Tevah still as men in one place and women in another place. Him and his sons in one place. His wife and his daughter-in-law in another place. Because he wasn't ready to go and do it, even though Hashem said it. That's our second message. Is you need to get up and do. Move. Do. Change. Stop getting stuck. Stop getting stuck in this paralyzed state. Talk positive, then do positive. Get up and move. And I'll tell you, let me give you a very real vivid example. And I think it'll help you very much. So, a few years ago, I was invited to a bar mitzvah in Israel. A family, the Gindi family, was going to Israel, and I was supposed to be part of their bar mitzvah. It was in the middle of the year. I think it was actually Thanksgiving weekend time. And the problem was, my daughter, who was, I believe, about 14 at the time, was wanted to come with us to Israel, and I said, it doesn't make sense. The Bible people said, no, take your daughter, let her come too. So take your daughter and your wife. I said, there's another problem. The problem is I have a wedding or some things I have to do here in America first. I can't come on time. No problem. Let your wife and daughter come first. We'll put them in the hotel, and then you'll come. So sure enough, my wife and daughter go on this trip, leave on Saturday night, and I don't leave till Monday night. So they're in the hotel, for two days, they're with this family that they don't know at all, for two days by themselves. By the time I got there, they were miserable. My 14-year-old daughter was stuck in bed, sick in bed. She's sick in bed, she's crying or down, and she can't believe it. This is her first time she's ever in Israel, and she's sick in bed. And Dad, you left us here with people that we don't know, and I know this is terrible, this trip is the worst, and we're supposed to be here for another five or six days, and you weren't with us, and now I'm sick, and I can't go anywhere. I said, Rav God, let me tell you a little story. When I was in 11th or 12th grade, I had a very uh, dramatic episode. I had a lung collapse. My lung collapsed. I was taken to the hospital. A week and a half later, surgery was performed. For a month, I was home. Didn't go to yeshiva. I used to dorm. I didn't go to yeshiva. Still in a lot of pain, I went back to yeshiva. And I would sleep in bed all day. Besides the main shiur, the main class, that would be for an hour a day. i go to that class and i go right back to bed. One day, I'm in my room, sleeping on a Friday, and I'm in bed, and I hear one boy have a question about Gemara. So the other boy says, why don't you ask Joey? Joey knows the answers. The other kid says, Joey? You can't ask Joey anything. All he does is sleep in bed all day. And I remember hearing those words. I said, all I do is sleep in bed all day? Really? I said, you know what? I'm sick today and tomorrow. Sunday morning, I am better. I'm better. It's over. I'm done. But I was in pain. I'm better. Sure enough, Sunday morning, I got out of bed, got dressed from the morning, shahari, learning. I'm holding my chest. I was in so much pain. Didn't matter. I am better. Took a little nap. Back for the afternoon. I am done. I'm better. And within two or three days, I was completely better. I said, Rifka, 
this whole sick thing that you're feeling right now is in your head. I said, act better and you'll be better. She looked at me like I fell from the moon. But the next day, we went on a trip. And in the middle of the day, she was sick. By the afternoon, we were horseback riding, she was okay. And that night when we went for dinner, she was fine. And she would then have, with this Gindi family who she never knew before, the best trip of her life by the time the week was done. Because a lot of it is in our brain. Don't act sick. Act better. Don't act afraid. Act okay. Don't act nervous. Act positive and forward moving. Don't act paralyzed. Act active. Show the world, your family, yourself, you're moving forward. You may not feel it. I'll give you the honest truth. Every day this week and last week, every day I woke up, not in the mood to get out of bed. Not in the mood for whatever this wacky day is going to look like. And then you get yourself out of bed and you start to download a few of the things you're excited about for the day and you get yourself going. Act. Noah, Hashem told you to separate for a year in the Teva. It's over now. Go back to your home and build your family. Don't stay separated. Get back together. It's over. And what I'm saying, what am I pointing to us is no, it's not over in our case. There's definitely certain things that are still happening. There's still danger. But being locked up and locking your brain up, that's over. Move forward. Go to shul. Wear a mask. Sit in the ladies' section if you're afraid to come downstairs. Sit in the back. Wear a mask. Go learn. Go do. Go raise your children. Go learn. Go interact with friends. Do move. Go. Otherwise, we stay in bed and we tell ourselves how sick we are. And we're actually creating the Stockholm Syndrome ourselves. There may be someone listening to this. I'm going to conclude in a couple of minutes. He's going to say, Rabbi, everything you're saying, it's so nice, but it's like so fake. Like you just use nice words and get up and go, and all of the world's problems go away. The world's upside down, and Rabbi Haber's advice was, say nice words and get out of bed. So let me respond. I think that if you think that that's all this advice was, you know nothing about how life works. Because life very often is that simple. Change your words and act and things become easier. No, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden that's going to determine who wins the election. It doesn't mean that just because you act, all problems go away. It just means you don't stay paralyzed physically or mentally. I think I saw this hinted beautifully in a pasuk in last week's parasha. The pasuk is talking about the seventh day of creation, Shabbat. Hashem blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Says Rashi on that pasuk, Hashem blessed the seventh day. What does it mean? That in the time of the Jewish people in the desert, when the man was falling from heaven, Hashem blessed the day of Shabbat by giving us two portions of man on Friday. And he made the day holy. He sanctified the day. Says Rashi, how did he sanctify the day? By making no man fall on Shabbat. Now reading the Pasuk and I'm saying, in a certain regard, it's out of order. Really, it's not and then it's the opposite. First, Hashem decided there would be no man on Shabbat. 
And then he decided, because there's no man on Shabbat, let me give them double on Friday. So first it's Vaikadesh Oto, then Vaibarech Elokim. But no, the Pasuk says it flipped. He gave us two double portion of man, we don't even know why. And then he made the day of Shabbat when no man falls. I think the answer is he's not just talking about the time of man, he's talking about all time. You want Shabbat to be a special day first, Vaibarech Elokim at Yom First, give it a double portion. First, make it a day of blessing and happiness of beauty. And then you can make it a day by Kadesh Then you can make it a day of separation, a day of restrictions. If you make blessing and you make happiness and you create energy and you create positivity, then the restrictions, you can handle restrictions. But if all you have is by Kadesh Without any vayivarech elokim, if all you have is sanctity, without any of the blessing infused into it, it doesn't work. If your home on Shabbat is just restrictions, it's a beautiful Shabbat, but your kids won't relate to it. But if your home is a Shabbat where it's so much blessing, where my wife will say, yeah, let's get that roast, and let's get that those ices, and get the herbotics, but don't get them. Now all of a sudden, you made it a day of fun and enjoyment. Now the restrictions are easy to take. We have restrictions around us. They're probably, maybe they'll fluctuate, but they're probably not completely going away for a long time. So either you can decide to just live in the world of restriction, or you can live in the world of blessing that surrounds the restriction. Hashem says, I've given you a double portion. You're going into Shabbat with a lot of food. Then you could deal with the restriction. When you, create, when you create blessings, you can handle restriction. And the truth is, the other night, the president gave a town hall. So I found a way to watch a little bit of it on the phone. And the first question was about a mask. Or maybe the second question. And he says, yeah, I, I don't wear a mask. I'm good with masks, but I, you know, I can't wear a mask. People want to touch me. I'm the president. I got to go out. I got to do. And I'm looking at him and I'm like annoyed. I'm like President Trump, just tell them the answer they want to hear. You're trying to run for president. Just say, I believe in masks. Why do you have to be so complicated? And the truth is, I still stand by that. That should have been his answer. But there was some element of a point that he was making that was true. Is that I, I have to be president. I have to live. I have to move forward. And I think that has to be all of our mentality. We need to live. We need to move forward. I am not telling you to in any way ease up on the guidelines and restrictions. I'm telling you mentally ease up on them. I'm telling you start moving. I'm telling you that when Noah wanted to open the Teva and leave, he sent out the Orev, which is the raven, which our rabbis considered a cruel animal. And the raven just came right back because that can't be the one that leads the way of rebuilding. Then he sent out the Yonah, the dove. The dove is a peaceful animal. It's the animal that represents the Jewish people. It's the animal for the rest of time that would represent peace. The dove, you could be the one that leads the way to peace, rebuilding, and redemption. And the dove came back with alezait, with an olive branch. What's the message inside of the olive branch that's within his mouth? The answer is that an olive is something that you squeeze and you produce something even better. You produce oil, which the whole world lives on oil. 
We too need to be that way. Our mouths need to be a place that we squeeze, we build out of. We squeeze positivity out of. We squeeze strength. When you, the father, comes home at night, don't come home because the house is a little messy. Don't come home exhausted and frustrated. Even though I am sometimes guilty as charged, I'll admit it. Don't come home frustrated and exhausted. Come home energetic and positive. Come home as the dove leading the way to rebuild, ready to squeeze energy and strength into this home, ready to not bring huff and puff, but ready to bring terah, ready to bring purity, ready to speak and ready to act and ready to create blessing in our surroundings. There's toughness around us, but it's not nearly as tough as the way people are speaking and the way people are talking. So last week's message was focused on your circle of influence. This week's message is that when you talk of those things that are in your influence, and even those things that are outside of your influence, how you talk and how you act makes all the difference. I can do something and you could do the exact same thing and we could do it completely different. One woman could charge me $163 and make the experience a headache. The next woman could charge you $163 and make the experience wonderful. One woman calls herself a witch. The other woman calls herself the person who helps you get your car back. It's the same thing that's happening, but it's a whole different experience. What's going to happen in your day, every single day, in many cases, to some degree, right now, is out of your control. But the mood that surrounds it is controlled by you. You decide how we talk, and you decide how we act, and you decide whether your home is going to feel like Stockholm, Sweden, or if your home is going to feel like a place that always, every day, by Yivarech Elohim, every day is filled, even with restrictions, with consumed with Hashem's blessings. Thank you.